forecheck, backcheck, paycheck, bro. Gunnarsson turns off the boards. Gets a return pass. Fires a shot. He scores! What an overtime for the St. Louis Blues. They dominated. And Carl Gunnarsson on a delayed penalty call has given St. Louis a 3-2 win and a 1-1 tie in the Stanley Cup Final. Episode 26 of Forecheck, Backcheck, Paycheck, and we are back in style. The pod is not dead. I mean, what other podcast out there pulls out a Mac Vickery track straight out of the 1960s to roll you right into some analysis? FBP is still a train that's rolling, baby. Sean, what is up? It's been too long, but life interferes. What is going on? We figured we'd just skip the most important, most impactful part of the hockey season and not give you guys any breakdown or anything like that because that's just how we kind of roll for this podcast. Everybody knows the best part of a sandwich is the bread. You know, yeah, the, fair point. It's the bread. Nobody gives a shit about what's <laughs> in the middle of it. It's funny. Yeah, we got plenty to talk about. That's for sure. And that song that you started us off with, incredible. Oh. I mean, what a pickup. Good old Mac Vickery. I mean, straight out of the 1960s, made even the late 1950s, the old school throwback because we're going back to St. Louis. I'm, I, I said it before. I think that song may have been made about the last time St. Louis was actually in the cup. You know, it could very well be when they got swept, you know, 50 or 60 years ago. He wrote it a week before the infamous Bobby Orr goal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, it's hilarious. But yeah, as we were saying, man, life just interferes. Before the third round, we were going to record an episode, but of course, I was out in Chicago celebrating my boy Jared Carley's wedding. Want to give a shout out to Jared, an avid listener of the show. Um, real cool meeting some of his buddies and stuff like that. An absolute unreal ceremony. We had a blast. Um, a, a $2 tip to the bartender just ended up being in all my drinks being way too strong. And a 7 a.m. flight Sunday morning out of the city after a wedding is not something that I recommend. But um, we were going to record earlier this week before the final, but Mother Nature decided to make its name pre- or it's uh, decided to make a presence here in in central Ohio. And I figured it wouldn't be great if you and I were recording and there were just sirens going off in the background while my house was shaking. And (laughs) unfortunately we just don't make enough money yet on our countless ad reads in order to quit our full-time jobs. Yeah, we're, we're close. That's why we've been grinding so hard. You know, if we get just, we just work a little bit harder and we'll be able to, to pull that off. I think, I think we're one more ad read away. (laughs) <laughs> from, from really pocketing some serious income. I, I'd agree with that. If we can get like Amazon to sponsor us for like a billion dollars per ad read. We'll right. Be, just, be something, just something small. You know, right, just, yeah. Light, just some light crumbs. spending for them. Just some crumbs. But it's honestly kind of funny because obviously the, the, the plan was when before the playoffs started was to at least be able to rattle off an episode before each series, give our predictions, our apt analysis, um, if you will. But the first round was an absolute nutcase of what happened. And then the second and third round, 
kind of almost went to plan. No, I mean, I feel like if we would have went back and given our predictions after an erratic first round, I think that we probably wouldn't have been too far off. I mean, you did take St. Louis to be in the finals. They end up uh, in the finals. I took San Jose to be in the finals, who ended up in the conference finals. So I feel like the kind of the rest of the way the playoffs shook up was kind of, you know, foreseen, no? I'd agree with that. The only, you know, the only big difference, I didn't see a sweep coming in that Carolina Islanders series. I thought the Islanders were rolling uh, after after sweeping Pittsburgh and then got smoked in that series. Uh, I think the Boston-Columbus series was a good one, and I think you're seeing how good Boston is. But the Western Conference, I think, went pretty much to plan. We knew that San Jose and Colorado was going to be a good series. It went seven, and we knew that St. Louis and Dallas was going to be a good series, and it also went seven. So um, I think you're right in saying that it was it was certainly more predictable than the first round, and you know that's that's not really saying much because that first round was bonkers. Right. And before we get into a little bit deeper into the second round, uh, I just want to say this podcast is brought to you by. I'm I'm totally kidding. Um, some <laughs> some Phil Kessel news dropped today. Um, you know, the, the big rumor so far of the off season for the Penguins, not for the rest of the league, is that Phil Kessel has been, you know, on the block and publicly on the block. And it cracks me up how halfway through the season, around the trade deadline, I put an article out saying the Penguins needed, you know, absolutely needed to trade Phil Kessel. And I got destroyed by the Penguins fan base, by NHL fans in general, saying that I was an idiot. And now everybody's trying to figure that we should trade him and trying to see what kind of value we can get for him. It just makes me laugh because this was something that was kind of predictable. And it blows my mind that now everybody's all for it. But the news that dropped today was Jeremy Roenick reported that Phil Kessel is only accepting trades to one team. And he didn't say the specific team, but it was alluded that that team is going to be the Arizona Coyotes due to his relationship with head coach Rick Tockett. And honestly, what's even crazier, if you Google image Rick Tockett, the second picture that comes up is a picture of him and Phil Kessel celebrating a cup win together. So how about that for weird? Uh, That's interesting because I know he definitely shot down a a trade with Minnesota from what I heard. Um, So I'm I'm surprised to hear – I'm blank. Arizona. I'm surprised to hear that's the team. I mean, I guess it makes sense with – Rick Tockett, but you know, you'd think coming on the later end of the career here, he would want to go somewhere where you are almost guaranteed to to maybe at least make the playoffs, right? Right. And from the Penguin standpoint, it makes sense because they got him for a reason. They won two cups with him, and now it's time to get rid of him. So from the Penguin standpoint, I understand it. But the problem with Arizona is that it doesn't make any sense as a trade partner. They don't really have any assets that you would want when get rid of Phil, because the Penguins are still trying to win now. I mean, they're not in any way giving up on 87 and 71 quite yet. They want to win another cup or two, so you want to think you'd get some young talent. The only two guys I can think of on Arizona that would be worth trying to grab are Clayton Keller, who there's no way they trade. Right, yeah, and they're not moving him. My buddy Super brought up Henestroza as another guy, but I can't imagine them getting rid of him either. So who are you left with on that roster that you really want? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you look at someone like, is Connaughton still back there on the line? Obviously, wouldn't be straight up, but if you get him at least to help bolster, you know, a slower defense that we kind of saw get exposed in the first round, and, and then some picks and some things like that, obviously. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Arizona is so young, and it's pretty much loaded on 
prospects, things that nece- won't necessarily help the Penguins now, which is what they need. So it puts them in a tough bind if that's the only place he's willing to go. Because I think that, you know, the the one thing about this scenario is that if it ends up that they can't find a trade partner and they got to ride Kessel out, well, there's worse things in the world. He's still, you know, a guy that put up 80 points last year. He's not somebody you're disappointed to have on your roster. I just think they got to be a little bit smarter about the way they use him. We've said it on here before. If If I had to pick five guys to run a power play and the power play is set up already because that is a huge part of this. So the power, because Kessel might be the worst on power play entries in, in not just in the NHL, but in the game, (laughs) in in the game of hockey in general, he is horrible on entries. And there's a reason why the Penguins gave up 326 shorthanded goals this year, because Kessel just cannot stick handle through the neutral zone and why they continually had him do it. I have no idea, but once you're set up, Phil Kessel is, in my opinion, probably one of the top 10 best power play guys in the league because Mm -hmm. he's lethal from that left, you know, that left spot of the umbrella where he can walk in and, you know, snap that quick wrister or try to find somebody on the back door. And he's not afraid to find the dirty areas either a man up and, you know, get a few rebounds when Sid or somebody makes a nice play. So, I mean, you have a spot for him, but is he a guy that you want to go out and give you 20, 21 minutes? Not really. He's just no longer effective five on five. And it's glaringly obvious yeah and I think it'd be hard to if you couldn't hide it in Pittsburgh there's no way you're gonna be able to hide it in Arizona right with all these young guys who who need someone who can for example stick handle into the zone right um you know what I mean like we kind of see that in Edmonton where you have the one guy who's really good and and then the rest of the team sucks and they're terrible so I I, you know I, I think it puts Pittsburgh like you said it's not the worst thing but it puts them in a little bit of a tough spot when you got a guy who obviously they need to move, and they probably won't. I mean, I don't see how they'll be able to do it. Yeah, and I, I think if he wants to go to Arizona, I almost think it's the ride off into the sunset. I mean, you know, the guys won a few cups. Obviously, the guys always want to win, but Arizona is certainly not a bad place to play. And when you're making five plus mil, I mean, why not? You know what I mean? So if you got a coach that you get along with, but with Arizona's success or lack thereof, Rick Tockett might not be the head coach very long, and then you're screwed. Yeah, well, they luck Arizona. Lucky for them, favored from that like two month stretch when nobody in the West wanted to win. Right. Like, let's not forget that Colorado made the playoffs and they lost ten straight games at one point <laughs> in the season. Right. Like, if you did that in the East, you and Ottawa will be, you know, will be next door neighbors basically. You were already painting your lottery balls if yeah. that happened back then. <laughs> So moving, like I said, just a little bit of Kessel news. It's it's something interesting and definitely something to monitor. He's the big name that's going to be shopped around this offseason, even once the Stanley Cup Finals come to an end. Uh, but the big thing uh, is, you know, we can talk about the East and what happened uh, in order to get Boston here. I think that after the first round, we kind of saw this coming because there was no one else. You know, Columbus gave him a hell of a fight. I really thought Columbus was going to win that series. And I thought Columbus matched up with them way better than Carolina did. But, you know, once Tampa loses, the Penguins lose, the Capitals lose, and Boston sneaks out, and you're like, ah, oh, shit. Here we go again. You know what I mean? Yeah, you saw right. it coming from a mile away. Yep, yep, you did. I think, you know, I look back to, like, that game five against Columbus, and after that game, I said, that's it. Like, they're going to the finals for sure. They're probably going to win the finals. Um, just because they're, the road is so easy now. And <laughs> I didn't expect four, you know, four zero easy, but it just shows you Carolina had no business in that series. Um, after, after they swept the Islanders. Um, 
so I, I think you're right. I think the, it was paved for Boston, which is great. You know, that city really needed some sports luck. Uh, you know, they just they don't have enough fortune there. It's been a, over a hundred days since that town has won a, a national title. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, good for those fans. I mean, they really deserve this. So. It's, it's tough. You know, I mean, you gotta you gotta live out there and listen to all those horrible accents all day. I mean, my God. <laughs> right. There. You know, what's funny. Just kind of off topic is that I read a few weeks ago that a study was done that showed that the Boston accent was named the second sexiest accent in the world. If there is not a more num- incorrect study ever was done. Say, was number one just every other accent yeah. ever? <laughs> Can you imagine taking a girl home and she starts talking like R.A.? Oh. <laughs> no, I would have to leave, right? I'd, I'd, I'd be like, okay, out. guys, like, I can't take this fucking seriously. So I put the pants game on. Yeah, well, yeah she's like a model. I'm like, you got to leave. <laughs> right like there's a couple a couple of women who i know who root for the patriots strictly because they just like tom brady because they think he's good looking i mean which is hilarious to me but there's worse worse reasons to root for a team i guess and i just can't take anybody seriously i hate all boston teams i've talked about it before and once you saw all these teams get knocked out and boston escape and i think it'd be the same way with toronto i think that if Toronto gets out of there, we're talking Toronto-St. Louis in the finals right now. Or maybe Columbus, because Columbus was the only other team out of the East that was going to do anything. Yeah, um, I, I, I like think about, like, like I, I go back to that Game 5. I mean, like, I think, or, or maybe even, like, Game 1. I don't think Toronto wins that. Like, I think Columbus will pull that out. But Boston, they've been there, they've done that. Uh, and they just, they, they don't get flustered, like, in Game 5, giving up two late goals to, to basically give up the lead. And then they come back and score one with a, you know, a minute and a half left. I don't think Toronto can do that. So right. I think Boston was the team. If anyone was going to do it and coast through the East like this, it was Boston. The craziest part of the whole thing, too, was we called exactly how the Islanders' hurricane series was going to be. And the reason why we haven't touched on it yet is because it doesn't even need to be touched on. It was so boring, and it was literally the worst product you could ever advertise the sport to a neutral fan. Like, hey – why? And then you got to play those two games at Barclays. That was a disgrace. Even like they couldn't even find a good place to put the camera. Like what a just absolute disgrace. Right. I mean, that's an arena obviously not made for hockey and it, it sucks watching. I honestly watched like two of the games uh, from this series. I said, I got, I got better. I got better things to do. I'll save my time to go watch those games on the West. Cause those, those were awesome. Right. I was like, I'll put this bar rescue marathon on that I've seen six <laughs> times in a row now over this fucking Islanders game. But yeah, I mean, you know, I took Carolina to win that series. Didn't see it being a sweep. But then as soon as you get to the Boston Carolina series, I, I, I can't imagine a person in the world out there is taking the Hurricanes over you know the Bruins. If you had watched both teams, Boston was rolling. And Carolina, I mean, yeah, they won four straight, but they didn't do it in you know, real incredible fashion, and the Islanders just kind of, you know, looked like they just gave up. The Islanders just completely forgot how to score. Right. They, they had no ability to score. It goes back to what you were saying before the first round. You know, you were saying, who's their guy? Well, it's Matt Barzell with 60 points this year, uh, it, which is, you know, that's not that's not going to get it done. And quite, it didn't. It didn't get it done. And Barry Trott's system, you know, if you only give up two goals, but you only score one, well, there you are. You're looking at a four nothing, four nothing hole, and, and packing your bags, making your golf times. Right, and it was that. Like I said, it's it's something we saw Boston doing, and that Columbus series. Just if, if you and we've talked about this in the first round, like where you would watch one series and then go to another series, and it seemed like they were playing a totally different sport. 
That's what the Boston-Columbus series was to the Carolina Islanders series. The Boston-Columbus series was unbelievable, full of talent, full of speed. And then you go over to the other series, and you're like, what the hell is this? you got two teams both trying to trap each other. And then as good of the stories as the Hurricanes were, because, you know, I was I wrote my notes out for an episode for the conference finals. And I, I, I would have sat there and said, as badly as I want Justin Williams to find a way to do this, there's no way you're going to. Boston was just rolling. And when that first, not only the first line, and we'll talk about this more when we start to get into the finals, but it's not Boston's first line. It's their second, their third, and their fourth lines. Like they're just right. disgusting from top to bottom. So there's no way Carolina was going to match up against that team. You know, if you're putting Dougie Hamilton, who is now my least favorite player in the history of the world, out there to try to stop, you know, Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, who's been terrible but still good enough, then you're right. just, there's, there's nothing's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you saw with, like, Columbus, the series, like, Boston's top line didn't do anything uh, until the final games when it mattered. Right. But that's because they're just so damn deep that they don't even need to. And you saw that again in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're just so deep. And I'm sure it's going to come here again in the finals, too. So uh, that's a team that, that is built, built for a championship, and they've just been behind – Tampa in that you know in the Atlantic right. division so I think people just haven't been talking about it as much because we're dealing with a team that's breaking every record in the regular season and it's funny too because you know with four teams left in the east I think you and I both would have taken Boston pretty unanimously to come out and Boston was the only team that was gonna come out of there you could have replayed the second and third round five six seven times over and Boston comes out of there every time then you get to the west and any four of those teams in a simulation can come out of there. It was absolutely up for grabs, um, especially in the second round. I mean, the dog fights in the two second round series were just so strong. And, you know, we talked about how the West was weaker, you know, pretty much all year, but they surely made for some exciting playoff series, at least, because it was definitely tight. Yeah, I mean, we, we said they were weaker all series, but boy, if you watch that Carolina Islanders series, I shit, I'd take them losing to every team in the West pretty much. I'd rather watch team. cricket than watch that yeah, series right. over. Holy <laughs> Christ. Um, but, you know, to start with the Dallas-St. Louis series, wow, what a series. That might have been my favorite series of the entire playoffs so far. It had everything. It was awesome. The goaltending was fantastic on both ends. You got the superstars on Dallas. You got the great story of St. Louis. And it was some awesome hockey. It was played at a reasonable hour. We had two central teams. Right. Um, I enjoyed that series the most, maybe of every series so far in the entire playoffs. And I really thought Colorado was going to find a way to do it just the way that, you know, some of their guys stepped up. I mean, we talked about Kel McCarr, who's going to be an absolute hero in this league. I mean, that kid is disgusting. And he looks like he's in a system that's going to let him be free and let him play his game. And that's what you're going to need when you're a young defenseman, not stuck in some, you know, X's and O's system where you can't be free and do your magic. So he's going to be somebody to watch here in years to come. I mean, Colorado fans have to be the most optimistic of any team in the NHL. I mean, you're about to get, what, the number four draft pick? Yep. And then you got Kale McCarr, who might as well just be like getting a number one overall pick because he's a future Norris Trophy winner, in my opinion. And then you see the way that McKinnon and Rotten and these guys played, Landeskog, the way that they came through. It's almost surprising that they didn't come out of that series. And they could very easily be a team that made it all the way into the final, the way they were playing with their speed um, and their clutch factor at times in that top line. But I think at the end, the goaltending just didn't hold up and they just weren't quite deep enough to really keep up with the physicality that was brought to them. 
Yeah, I, I was surprised with this series because I have not liked how San Jose have been playing. I thought they got gifted a little bit in that Vegas series. Uh, we, you know, we don't need to go into that, but you, everyone remembers that. Um, but I was real impressed with how they played in, in this series. Colorado, like you said, McCall, dude, he skates around like it's beer league. Like he just goes in circles. There's a play, I think it's it was stupid. game five, where he literally was just circle, 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 bam, back door. And you're like, holy, that, this kid, this is like his seventh NHL game. He does it's the incredible. entire cycle by himself. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just, on, yeah, he'll, yeah, he'll like fake pass, and, and it was awesome to watch. That kid's a stud. And you're absolutely right about Colorado, not deep enough yet. But I think in the future, next year, maybe even. I mean, this is a team that that's got to be borderline favorited in the in the West. Talk about getting screwed in the lottery too. And I actually kind of want to do touch on that for a little bit um, with what happened in the lottery and what what happened in the IAHF um, championships with Finland winning. Um, you know, Capo Kako, a name that I. Kako, man. Is there anything worse than him getting drafted to a team on the East Coast? You got to listen to these assholes with this accent pronounce his name. Like, oh, we got Capo Kako. It's going to be like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. You can't put him in just like a real Midwestern town so we don't have to deal with this. So, right. not to mention now the Metro is going to be crazy stacked with the Devils and the Rangers getting the first and second pick. But I'll tell you, there's been a lot of debate about whether Kako put himself above Jack Hughes for number one overall with the way he played leading Finland to a championship. I mean, I say leading loosely, but being on that team. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I still think no. I still think Jack Hughes goes one, but if nobody's happier than the Rangers right now because yeah, the Devils I, are the ones that have to make the right pick. You know what I mean? If you're the Rangers, whoever you get falls to you and it's a no-brainer. The Devils are the one that are going to have to justify whoever they take for the rest of that person's career. So if they do end up taking Kako above Hughes, now you got to justify that forever. And if you take Hughes, I bet you Kako has a more or has a better like start in the league. I bet you he is relevant right away, whereas I bet you it'll take Hughes a little bit of time, kind of like it did with Jack Eichel. Um, you know what I mean? Austin Matthews, even a little bit, like not well, given Austin Matthews had like 16 goals in his first game. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to develop. Whereas I think, you know, the, the young Finn will step in right away and be able to be a goal scorer, but the devil's going to have to justify that forever. Whereas the Rangers are just going to be like, well, whoever falls to him, he falls to me and I'm just going to roll on them. So it all works yeah. out. I mean, dude, the goals he was scoring were sick. So the fact that he was doing that against people who have played in the NHL, uh, and and I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about, um, you know, the, doing the self cycle. He was doing right. that against you know some of the best defensemen in the league. It yeah. was unreal. Yeah. And and like you said, I mean, you know, I don't think you can go wrong with a pick. Of course, hindsight twenty twenty, we'll look back on this in ten years and say, ah, oh, you should have picked this guy. This guy. Look, I think they're both. You know, if they were in different years, they each one would be number one picks. So. Um, but like you said, I think the real loser here is just basically everyone else in the Metro and, and Ottawa, of course. Right. And it's, yeah, the Metro, you feel for the guys in the Metro and Ottawa always loses. Yeah, so right. what do you, you know what I mean? But I guess it's a little bit of sting because if Ottawa ended up with a number one pick, then you're really feeling it. So at least that pick fell all the way to four. Now here, my question is for you, any suspicion that the lottery is rigged at all? I don't think so. I mean, this is the first time the New York Rangers have picked like in the top five ever. I'm pretty sure. I read a stat like this is the highest they've ever picked. 
and I don't think they've ever they haven't picked in the top three in like 35 years. That's the biggest market the NHL has. So I'm going to say I don't think so. Yeah, I was and just going to try Edmonton. To, I was just Edmonton try to would not be getting all those picks. Yeah. I don't think it is either, but I was trying to create controversy. I don't think the system is that great. I hate the lottery system. I really do. I mean, I'll touch on real quick the way I think the draft order should be and that it's as soon as a team is eliminated from playoff contention, uh, they start over. Oh, okay. So let's say there's 20 games left and you get eliminated from playoff contention. Now you start with zero points. The, The team with the most points after being eliminated from playoff contention, gets the number one pick. That That's way, incredible. That way, I love that. That way you can't tank, and you got to keep playing, and the teams that are worse get more games to get right. more points. So if you get eliminated on the last day of the season, well, you have zero points, you're going to end up picking 14th or whatever. But if you get eliminated with a month left, you have 12 games to try to get as many points as you can to pick number one. I think that's such a better system than – just a lottery because you're yeah. going to keep fans coming throughout the year, even if they're gone, because there's a reason to cheer for them to win now. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be curious to see if you ran a simulation on that because, like, there are some teams that are really good, like, or not really good, but are decent. Like, for example, I, I look at, like, the Florida Panthers, right? Like, they were knocked out way early. Right. But they're, they're a significantly better team than the Ottawa Senators. I'd be curious to see because I'd like to see a, a better player go to – I just wonder if like teams would just get completely buried if right. they're really bad and you give them 20 games and they win three. You right. know what I mean? True. But no one's going but to I those like, games look, anyway. So. <laughs> I, like, I like that system because right now it's 14% chance if you're the worst team in the league. Right. So, like, you know, I mean, you got a better chance at winning five games and you're probably going to get a better pick. Yeah, I just the lottery system has never been so I, – I don't agree with just whoever gets last gets the first pick. I think the lottery's better than that. But I still think we can do better than the lottery. And that's kind of I and I, I I can't take credit for making that up because I read it a long time ago. And ever since I read it, I don't know who thought of it, but I read about it and I was like, that's actually super interesting because that means every game is still relevant and you can't tank. You can still bring up young guys and see how they do in the system, but mm-hmm. you're still gonna bring fans in because can you imagine it's your eighty second game of the season and if you win that game you get the number one pick? You're telling oh, me a, you're telling me you're not selling awesome. that barn out? I mean, what a bizarre thing to celebrate, but hell, why not? Yeah, but you're celebrating a win, right? right. So like I, you know what I mean? I, I get what you're saying and that you're celebrating but you're not really coming in last. I mean you're actually you're doing pretty much the exact opposite. I don't you know, I don't know where you'd finish at, but I think that's a fantastic idea. Right. I think uh, they need to uh, give you a little honorary position there at the uh, GM meetings or whoever's deciding that, the owners. I think if we get like a couple dozen more views on this podcast, I'll get my invite in the mail. I think so. Yeah, I'm that still waiting. Out. I'm still waiting for my ballot to be able to vote on the NHL awards. That's all I want. Well, which one, right? Because they're all decided by different people. Oh, yeah, that's are, are, true. Yeah. Are you considered part of the media? Or are you uh... <laughs> right? I, well, I don't think I'm part of the NHLPA. At least not yet. Not yet. That's right. I'm part of the CAHL Beer League PA, and that's about it. What do you you guys you guys can vote on the Vesna then? Yeah, <laughs> and the the, <laughs> sel- the selkie, the ones that just don't <laughs> matter. Yeah, the bullshit ones. Right. Let's just throw a dart at a pie chart, and whoever it hits, that's who we're voting for. Oh, Bergeron again? Great. Oh, what do you know? Let's see. What's that black and yellow? Oh, Bergeron, obviously. (laughs) It's just a dartboard with a a Boston Bruins logo on it. But Shane, look how many face-offs he wins. He's got it. It's like, shut up. 
But um, moving on, so we, like I said, to the other series, a little bit of a tangent there, not a big deal. Um, you know what I mean? So we talked about how Colorado could have been that next team. You know what I mean? In the other series, it was almost almost the same way. You know, it, either of those teams are coming out. You know, and like I said, just a, a little bit of a little bit of razzle dazzle here and there. The robot Jordan Bennington, who now reminds me of just Mark Zuckerberg, ends up yep. playing well enough. If you watch Mark Zuckerberg like in court, it is exactly how Bennington acts in interviews. They're the same person. It is, but you know what's funny is, except for that time when the Blues got screwed by the hand pass, which we, we got to touch on the refs just being the worst. Was that, that that was in the conference finals, wasn't it? Wasn't that against Saint Jose? Oh, it was, but I'm just saying. Oh yeah. To, to go off a tangent on it, Bennington right. slamming his stick against the glass was like the first emotion I've ever seen out of him. I, I think even yeah, I think his CPU got a little heated, and he was like, yeah. "Show human emotion." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, I totally agree. We'll get on that here in a second, but. I mean, we took St. Louis. Like I said, you took St. Louis from the finals in the beginning. I thought they looked good coming out of the first round. But were you a little bit nervous in that second round at all? Did you see it going any other way? Oh, yeah. I mean, game seven, you know, I was saying – I said it when we started talking about this. This was my favorite series of the entire playoffs. And it could have gone either way because, I I mean, Bishop was playing uh, fantastic. And it could have – I think Dallas's stars finally stepped up. It was awesome. It was like – Jamie Benn was superhuman. Yeah, exactly. And it was a great series to watch. And going into game seven, I had no clue who was going to win. I mean, I, I like St. Louis. I liked their chances. Um, but Dallas had all the firepower to get it done, and they had forced a game seven. Um, so Overtime, I thought for too, sure. Right? Wasn't that know, the big Rick Maroon game? It was. Pat, Patty Maroon, I mean, that's a, that's a, you know, you couldn't even write a movie with that kind of script right. with, with everything he's been through. And, yep, he, he finished it off in overtime. Yeah, big rig Pat Maroon quietly Maybe not quietly, maybe loudly, becoming one loudly. of my favorite players in the league. He's just an un- – I mean, but we'll get more on that the way he's been in the finals so far because he's been definitely relevant. So we'll move into the conference finals on the West because like we said in the East, it was just not even noteworthy. It was a sweep. Boston just shit-kicked Carolina out of the building. Um, so while they're sitting on their thumbs waiting to see who they're going to play, you know, the series between San Jose and St. Louis was super interesting. Now, I believe I'm recalling this correctly. If I'm not, I don't really care. But if I am, then we're in good shape. So I believe it was 1-1 going into game three when the infamous hand pass overtime goal happened, correct? Correct, it was. I don't un- – remember, I'm the one that had the futures bet on San Jose. I'm rooting for San Jose the whole time. But I don't understand how I can be half asleep in my bed laying next to my sleeping fiancé and I see that call. But the ref who is standing right there – not to mention there's four of them. The linesmen are allowed to make that call. Nothing pisses me off more than when somebody misses a trip and then yells at the linesman. And it's like, yeah, buddy, if it's not offsides or icing, that guy doesn't do anything. But a hand pass, those guys can, can make their word known that something happened. How, how do all four guys miss it? It's, it's hard to even – fathom like I look back like we had the missed call with the with the Boston Columbus and no one saw it hit the net this was worse this is a lot worse actually when it comes to when it comes to how obvious this was that it was a hand pass and not only that you had the opportunity to go and debate it and you still made the wrong fucking call just make it up say that you saw the hand pass everyone in that arena knew it was a hand pass the guys weren't getting off the ice 
and you still held the call. It was a joke. What I also don't understand about it is that I get there's no official review. Guys, back into the corner and wait for them to play it on the fucking Jumbotron and look at it and go, oh, yeah, it's an obvious hand pass. And then go and pretend. Go put the fucking earmuffs on. Have right. the have the announcers go. I don't know who they're talking to because this isn't reviewable. And then come <laughs> and then come out of it and say it's a hand pass, no goal. I I don't understand how you don't find a loophole around it. If you're one of those officials, it's the conference finals and it's a you know a tied series. It's a huge goal. And if you need any proof that it was a hand pass, watch the way Carlson reacts after he scores. Yeah. A game winner, and he he didn't even celebrate. He just he like laughed. He was like, "Well, that's not going to count, right?" And then it's like, like, when, you, it's like when you kick in a puck and right. know good good and well that it's getting called. You just kind of do a little ah, uh, and then you know get ready for the face off. When I was in junior once, I actually threw a puck in and it counted, and <laughs> like I it was like a jump ball, and I literally like reached all the way up in the air and batted it down and scored. But I'm pretty sure that that referee would not pass a pre-employment drug screening had we had given it to him after the game, but. In a play like that, I don't understand how you miss it. It wasn't like, oh, the guy's in the corner and the puck goes in the air and his hand goes underneath and he like bats it and you can't tell. It's in the slot, in the middle of the ice. There's Unreal. no way to miss it. But the- Yeah, and it's not like it's hidden. It was literally out in front of the body. And right. you're like, Dude, come on. Like it was like to, to your point – from our TV angle, it was on the other side of his body, and, and we all it. knew. And he yeah. still said, oh, it's a hand pass. Unreal. I mean, what a joke. And then it goes also, the next level of this is that the NHL needs to help these guys out. Right. If you're going to review if the toe of your skate is over the line for offsides two and a half minutes before a goal, let's review this in the playoffs and overtime. Right. Help these guys out. It's a really fast-moving game. As much as we like to shit on the refs, simple fact is they're going to miss stuff. Give them a chance to get it right. And and they don't allow them don't allow them to do that. And we talked about review on the last episode too, after the Pavelski incident in the Vegas series about how they need to be able to review five minute majors. So the question that needs to be answered and agreed upon is where does it end as far as what's reviewable and what's not? Because this is going to be the most embarrassing thing I've ever said on one of these podcasts. So prepare yourself. So I was watching Game Six of the NBA Finals. Uh, of, of the NBA conference. There was nothing else on. Of the NBA conference finals, I was watching the Toronto and whoever Toronto played in the finals. Do you have, do you have Milwaukee? like grass outside your house? You can yeah, watch right. Right. Uh, The I, was yeah, I think they played the Bucks. Yeah, they yeah. played that guy whose name I can't pronounce because there's 18 consonants in a row. Greek, his, for the Greek freak? I don't, I yeah, don't actually know. Onto Kanopinopis. His... <laughs> His like the back of his jersey is just like a rainbow of letters that are like jumbled together, like you're supposed to pull them apart and make a new word because none of them go together. But I'm watching that game and I turned it on with like four minutes left, and I it's a sport. It's my least favorite sport, but it's a sport and it's the playoffs and it was really close. So I was like, all right, I'll see if you know whatever. So I turned it on and that last four minutes took forever. Because the NBA reviews every play at the Uh end of the game, whether it's if a ball goes out of bounds. um, These are just some of the things that legitimately were reviewed in the last four minutes. If the ball goes out of bounds, which happened like six times, they went to the they went every time to see who it was out on and confirm it. That takes a minute or two. Uh, There was a charge call on 
what a word scramble Bucks guy. And they went to review to see if the guy that he hit was standing in the if anybody listens to basketball right now, they're like and knows it. They're like, this guy sounds like a dipshit trying to explain this. <laughs> but <laughs> but as he charged the lane, there's a restricted area that in order to draw a charge foul, you can't be in. You have to be outside of it. They reviewed whether his foot was in the restricted area to call the block. And that it's like everything is reviewed. So I was watching that and I was like, fuck, man, like I don't want the NHL to turn into this. But there's got to be something. And I think the fact that it's a faster moving game, it won't happen. But like the Columbus, the, the Columbus goal is another one that ne- that should be reviewed. Yeah, you know absolutely. What I mean? And of course. the hand pass thing needs to be reviewed. So you say, how do you fix that? It's very simple. Every goal is reviewable. And you say, you know what I mean? Every goal is reviewable and you limit it. To why you can call goals off. You should say every goal is up for review, whether it's goalie interference, whether it's a hand pass, or you give the fucking coaches a challenge and make them tell you what to review. So if, you, if let's say in the Columbus series, that goal happens, goes off the net and Columbus ends up scoring. So now Bruce Cassidy can, tr- can challenge and say, I think the puck hit the netting. So they go and they look at it. If they find something else then it's still a goal. But if they challenge what the coach wants to challenge and he's right, then you reverse it. It's the same deal. You it's the I mean? same as offsides. It's what we do with offsides right now. So you I just, challenge the offsides. I just don't understand how they didn't foresee this coming with how fast the game has gotten. Like, it's hard to put the blame on the officials 100%. But when something – because, like, the – you know, we talked about the Pavelski thing. Super fast. You don't see it. The guy's bleeding out of his helmet. Okay, something mm-hmm. bad happened. You panic. Five minute major. You know, right. but something like a blatantly obvious hand pass. That's that's got to get reviewed. Somebody in Toronto has got to call down and go, guys, you missed it. It's not a goal. Right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, especially in you know what, if you want to do it just in the playoffs, that's fine. But like, you got to have that option. Right. Or just in the. The final five minutes in overtime. Some, something. Anything is better than what they're doing now. Yep. Off, I, it's I, just I, funny I that it's funny that offsides is the thing that they decided that, that's what's going to warrant the review. Nothing and else. And not only that, but like offsides at any time. Like it could be a zone entry a minute before and they're okay with it, but a blatantly obvious hand pass and they just completely ignore it. Right. So I definitely think that's going to be something that's up for review. But so big rig maroon moves him into you know moves him on. You get the conference side on that final or the conference finals on that side. I mean it's a great series between the Blues and the Sharks, and you know it just. I honestly think that if the Sharks and I think we could you can analyze this series in a matter of seconds. If the Sharks are healthy, I think they win that series. But they weren't healthy. They weren't even close to healthy. And they just didn't have anything. I mean, the last two games, they just had nobody. They had, you know, no hope, no nothing, no drive. The two, you know, they played back-to-back game sevens leading into that series, I believe, and it obviously Mm -hmm. had gotten to them. Um, I just think that they were just beat, withered, and the Blues took advantage of it. I I agree with that. And we knew that Eric Carlson wasn't 100% in that first series. He actually looked a lot better against Colorado. And then I don't think he looked necessarily great in the uh, the other series, you know, against St. Louis. Obviously, um, I think I think he's a defensive liability. And I think St. Louis they play at 
They're a big team, and they kind of play like Vegas did last year. They're all over you, and they're not necessarily a fast team, but they're relentless, man. And that's kind of how you come from a team that was in last place all the way back up to this point, which is just a crazy story. Um, but the way that they play hockey, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, um, and it challenges teams. And I think you saw it in game two with Boston, actually, who you know everyone says, oh, Boston played a really bad game. I think that just happens when St. Louis is on their game. Right, and the, the the reason why I was frustrated watching the finals in the West was I thought that San Jose matched up way better with Boston than St. Louis did. But obviously when you're not healthy, it doesn't matter. But I thought with having Carlson, Burns, Vlasic all on the back end for San Jose, I thought they would be able to shut, considering Burns never gets off the ice, I mm-hmm. thought they would have a better shot at shutting down the offensive depth of the Bruins than St. Louis was. So now we go into the finals. We can talk about game one. I mean, the Bruins just dominate from, you know, the beginning of the second period on. St. Louis gets up 2 nothing. Um, it was one of those games, though, where you were like, yeah, this is not like St. Louis is by no means about to run away with this game. You know what I mean? And you see Boston crawl back, and they crawled back fast, and they dominated the last 40 minutes. Yeah, they did. Um, definitely did in game one, and, and you, you're, you're absolutely right. Once they got – once they kind of, re, you know, gained their, uh, gained their feet, you know, after that 10-day break, 11-day break they had. Right. Uh, yeah, they – after that, they finally got – they got it going, and it wasn't even close. It wasn't even fair. Uh uh, and I, and from there, I was like, man, we might be seeing another sweep. That's what like, I, 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 I don't think it's impossible. Credit St. Louis, man. They came back in game two and played awesome. And the craziest thing about the game last night in game two was they, they don't score the first goal. And when you don't score the first goal after the way game one went on the road, you're sitting there going, I mean, this team has had their character, you know, challenged plenty I mean, of times. They first shot, first shot of the game went in the net through right. Bennington's five goal after he played shaky at best in game one. I, I thought we were starting to finally see the cracks in Bennington. And the craziest thing is that it happens again. They score to tie the game after an unreal shift by Pat Maroon, who was on the ice for like four straight minutes, it seemed like. Creates the traffic in front. I believe the shot goes off Grizzlick and ends up going into the shelf past Tuca. And then the Bruins score in the next shift to make it 2-1. So it's another wave of emotions that you have to somehow weather because not only do you give up the first goal, it takes everything inside of you to come back and tie that game. And then the next shift, the fourth line for the Bruins, who I believe has three goals in the series already. I think each of them has one. Corrali has one. Nordstrom has one. I think Achari has one. Like They've been unbelievable. Yep. Um, it's, it's very telling. I was less confident in the blues when they went down two one than when they went down one nothing. Cause I was like, God, maybe they get a power play or a bounce or something that ties it at one. And then you go from there and that's exactly what happened. And then the next shift, I mean, what a ball breaker, but that team, it was almost the opposite of game one. Then the, you know, the final 40 and it was just unbelievable the way St. Louis came back to tie that game. And then that overtime, I don't know if Boston touched the puck. Uh, I mean, yeah, definitely not in overtime. And I thought St. Louis dominated basically the entire second half of the game. And yeah, same here. I, I was like, man, that overtime was – I don't know if it left their zone. That's what I, I mean. mean. I don't think it Boston was, touched the puck. It was truly – it looked like a power play. And then they gave up that – you know, then they went down 6-5 to five because they uh, – a tripping call because everyone's dead on the ice. And what a shot 
by Guntherson. To, or is, that, is that what Gunnarsson, yeah. Gunnarsson, yeah. And, and, who, hit, who hit that pipe, too. He I thought probably should have won the game. Right. I thought that one went in. And then, um, you know, Gunnarsson, who only 42 people picked in the Bucci overtime challenge. Pretty crazy. We'll talk about a low number. Scores his first career playoff goal. Um, not a bad I – I think it was his first career. Uh, not a bad time to do it in game two and overtime in the Stanley Cup Finals. So what have you learned so far in the first two games? What's something that you've seen that, you know, maybe that you've learned, whether it's something that helps Boston, helps St. Louis, I'll keep it wide open for interpretation. You know, what's something you've learned so far through two games of the series? Yeah, uh, I have learned that St. Louis, they don't necessarily need Bennington to be on in order to win, but they have to stick to their game because I don't think he was on in game in game uh in game two I mean he gave up some soft goals that first goal was was not good um but their defense played really well they flustered Boston that top line didn't really get going and I I think I think they can win this series I mean just from what I've seen coming into it I would have said no way but I I like how they're playing right now yeah that's you know, what I would have said after game one, I, I would have said there's no way that St. Louis has a shot. They just look outmatched. They look, you know, and Boston has rest on them. And like you said, it, it takes most teams a game to get back. It took it took Boston a period. And that's scary because now, you know, you lose game one. Yeah, game two is a must-win game. I don't care what anybody says. You mm-hmm. can't go down 2 nothing, especially if you're going to get dominated two games in a row, which is the way game two started was Boston just all over them. You're like, there's no way – that they're going to go up. But some of the things, you know, I've learned that there's no quit in St. Louis. And I, as, as much as anybody wants to count them out and it's happened time and time again this year, you know, whether it's the, you know, them being in last place in January or the hand pass against St. Louis, which ended up, I think, you know, giving them the boost of that us against the world mentality to mm-hmm. put them into this spot. And then you lose game one. That team's resiliency is terrifying. If you're a Bruins fan, because they will not die. And we got, I just got to talk about Pat Maroon. That guy might not be the most talented player on that team, but you notice him every single shift, and he is putting that entire team on his back. Tarasenko has been the best player for the Blues, but I think Maroon has been the most impactful, and he has been just a stud so far. And he is not a guy that they signed to a one-year deal in the beginning of this season thinking he was going to have this kind of an impact offensively. He was brought in solely as a locker room guy, and he has just been unbelievable so far in the biggest stage of them all, you know, putting the team on his shoulders. Yeah, I mean, you see this every year, right? Last year was Devontae Smith-Pelly, where clearly not the best guy on the team. He's not even on the team anymore. He's in the, he's in the AHL, but he made a huge impact in the playoffs. And, you know, Pat Maroon, they're a little bit, they're obviously different, a little bit different skill level. I'd say Pat Maroon's, you know, a a lot better, but you see that the player like that can have such an impact and kind of just be the glue that brings that team together to get it done. So we'll go both ways on this one. If you're Boston, how do you capital, you know, how do you come out of the two games? If you're Boston, what are you looking to do in game three and the series on here? What are your keys to beating the Blues from here on out? Yeah, I, I think I think that top line's got to get going, and you got to. But honestly, they look terrible. I might even consider breaking them up. They've done it before. They did it a little bit in game two to some success. I was going to say, I think they um, took Pasternak off it for a while in game. They two. did, yeah. I, I think, I, and they did that earlier in the playoffs. I think they might have done it against Toronto. 
I think you look to do that. If that first period in game three is not going your way and that team, that line is not producing, I think you break it up. There's too much skill on that line to not have them producing. Break it up, split it, and, and find out where you can get some offense from those guys. Because Marshawn played probably the worst game I've seen him play in years last night in yeah. game two. He was completely Terrible. unnoticeable. He was unno- well, he was noticeable because he was giving the puck away. True. He was the reason they scored that goal. I mean, yeah. he gave up terrible, you know, on the blue line. And, and uh, Tarasenko with a sick goal, man. I, I feel like people don't appreciate that because it was a little sloppy. Falling backwards. It's like, putting a third that F- like a third. That's such a hard play. Uh, unreal. I forgot about that goal. I mean, you're right. That's 100%. And, like, the announcers were trying to be like, what I also hate about Pierre is how he screams for no reason into the microphone, and they have to dumb it. They have to lower the volume while he screams, so you're hearing a screaming person talk at normal volume, so it sounds all weird. And that's the first thing he yelled out is, Marshawn's a forward playing defenseman on this. And it's like, okay, but he's not 12, and he knows how the game – it's a two-on-two. Just skate right. backwards and let the right. play come to you. Instead, he pinches, he misses the man, doesn't get the puck, and then doesn't back check to the right area of the play. It was one of the worst plays I've seen anybody make all playoff. And after, on the goal that made it 2-1, David Perron for the Blues, I thought, nominated himself as the worst play in the playoffs. And then Marshan <laughs> later in the same game, decides to one-up him. It was pretty incredible. But... Completely agree. Like that's a, I, I don't know if people understand that's an elementary mistake at when you're holding a one goal lead. Like if you're gonna pinch there, you better either get the puck, take the man, and turn into a one on one, or fuck take a penalty before you give up a two on one. You know what I mean? Trip the guy yeah. as he beats you. Something. But it was just. A, I, I mean, I, I totally forgot about that play until you brought it up. I kind of went off on Twitter about it because I was like, "This guy sucks." What was that? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell was that?" But yeah, I agree. If I'm the Bruins, this is a very uh, kind of a weird. I don't want to say advanced, but something that's never really talked about as far as a game plan is concerned. A long time ago, when Bennington's run started, I was mm-hmm. watching. Um, either something on the NHL network or NHL live or something. And uh, who's the, the goalie that's on the con is it Kevin weeks? The, the guy that does like analysis in between periods for, uh, for NBC not sports, Bou- not Boucher, right? No, the goalie. Right, Boucher? it's yeah, uh, well, well Bouch too, but then <laughs> cause he was a goalie too, but I'm pretty sure it was weeks. <laughs> okay. It might um, be, I don't know who's, who's on the panel. And he Let's talked about, he talked about, how well Bennington played the puck and started the breakout. And it was something that I never noticed before because I just don't look for that. And holy shit, ever since he said that, I've watched him. I've watched that the whole playoffs. Anybody listening to this, next game, watch how often the breakout starts with Bennington and how many like tape-to-tape passes he makes that breaks them out immediately. Because it's unbelievable. He's so good with the puck. It's ridiculous. Um, Whether it's just a quick reverse to the D, whether it's immediately going up the wall. And I don't know if it's his defenseman yelling at him or him just making the play, but he makes the right play with the puck 99% of the time. It's unbelievable. And because most goalies don't really want to come out. And like a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, you're like, don't ever go touch the puck ever. But with Bennington, he's the one leading that breakout. So if I'm Boston, you have to find ways to combat that. And the ways you combat that is you either start shooting it real hard and real high when you dump the puck in, 
or you start blasting pucks on net any chance you can when you're dumping the puck in because you got to keep them honest because they've shown replays and let's say a guy like McAvoy is dumping the puck in and before he's even you know like lining up to dump it in Biddington's like about to get on his horse to go around to stop it like he's reading every play so mm-hmm. if you're the Bruins you got to keep the puck out of Bennington's hands because in game two, they couldn't establish a four check at all. And that was why, because any time the puck got in, it was right to Bennington and Bennington immediately made the right play and it's out of there. So I think if you're Boston, you got to find a way to combat that. You got to keep him honest. You got to start doing some soft opposite corner dump ins to try to get him to stay in his cage and make that trapezoid your friend that he can't go touch because the Blues defensemen haven't really impressed me in their own zone. It's Bennington making the plays 50% right. of the time. And once that forecheck gets established, it's been dominant. But they weren't able to establish it in game two because Bennington was just breaking the puck out every time. So if I'm the Bruins, that's something that, that's an adjustment I think you have to make, especially on the road. Simplify the game up. Keep the puck off his tape. And I'm serious. Anybody listening to this, pay attention to it. It's, it's unbelievable because that's what – what Weeks said, he's like, he's like, pay attention and you'll notice how often he does it. And it's, it's noticeable. It's, it's incredible. So on the other side of the coin, if you're St. Louis, you just came off a big emotional game two victory. Now you're headed back home. What's your game plan? Do you just kind of keep what you were doing at the end of game two? Do you make any adjustments? Kind of what do you do going into game three? Yeah, I mean, I think I was saying it before. They don't necessarily play like a really fast game, but they're relentless. They're all over them. It's like you were saying, they're not letting them run a proper breakout. You got Marshawn making dumb dumb mistakes at the blue line. And I think it's because they're hitting them. They're a physical team. Boston's not really used to it. The whole series has been crazy physical. It has been. You're right. And it's a big, these are two big teams kind of going against the grain, honestly, what we've been hearing for the last five years about where the NHL is going. So I think, you know, keep doing what you're doing, like you said, but I think take continue just to take it to the next level and, and don't make dumb mistakes. Don't let that top line get going, assuming that they stay together um, and, and remain physical. Just be more physical than Boston. And I think, you know, folks, the guys like Tarasenko will just get it done, right? Like they're going to score um, as long as he stays hot. I don't see why Boston can't win at least, or excuse me, St. Louis can't win at least one of these games at home and take it to a game, you know, game five, game six. Yeah, I, I think if I'm St. Louis, the two keys that I'm really looking at, the number one is probably the most obvious. They got to stay out of the fucking box. I mean, they just continuously oh, yeah. take penalties. They they were averaging going into the final. They were averaging less than three penalties per game. I believe they took five in game one and at least five in game two. And you put that team on the power play. They're going to continue to score, and they're going to make you pay the price. Uh, the penalty kill is a lot better in Game 2 than it was in Game 1, but that's not a game you want to mess with. You know, that's that's really playing with fire. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, and this is going to go against every former NHLer or analyst or what they've been saying, but I don't care because I truly think that if I was a Blues forward, this is what I would be doing. I am still on the train that Zidane Chara is is useless. He's terrible. Like, he always turns the puck over. He can't move his feet. I get that he's that leader. And I'm not saying he, like, should be in the press box by any means. But if I'm the Bruins, you know, like, in a beer league game, such a stupid comparison. You know, like, in a beer league game, every team has, like, one guy that sucks. And you're like, if I can just get that guy one-on-one, 
then it's yeah. o- it's over. And uh, hey, by the way, if you're saying like like uh, no, I don't think any team has that. You're that guy, right? right. You're right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I'm like maybe, thinking about our team. I'm like our team's pretty sick. I'm like oh fuck, that yeah. means it's me. Maybe look in the mirror, and we'll see if it's yeah, that right. guy. But uh, if I'm if I'm Tarasenko or you know any of these guys that are attacking the Bruins' end, I'm dumping it in Chara's corner. I'm attacking him one on one. I'm trying to take him wide. I, I just he makes so many mistakes and nobody says anything because I feel like just because he's the the gods of Daniel Chara, he's a Hall of Famer. The guy's a legend. I'm not trying to discredit him, but at this point in his career, he's 42 years old. And there are plenty of times where he looks like he's 42 years old. So I don't understand this glorification about how good his game is. I guess he's like an unbelievable locker room guy. And I would obviously know nothing about that. That's what I mean. I'm not saying put him in the press box. But the way like McAvoy's been playing and how solid the rest of that core has been playing, I am attacking Chara and I am, you know, licking my chops whenever I see him on the ice. And I think that if the Blues can stay out of the box and you're, I mean, you're playing the Bruins, you're going to get scored on. They're too deep up front. You know what I mean? But if you can stay out of the box, you can limit that power play from seeing the ice. And if you would start attacking Chara every shift, I think you're going to start seeing some more goals. And, you know, Maroon, like you said, kind of has had that Smith Pelly role so far. You got to get somebody goofy to score, to score. You know what I mean? If you really want to continue to to win a few games here and, you know, win four games, somebody weird has got to score a goal. You know, Gunnarsson is about as weird as it gets in game two in overtime, but you got to get a depth forward to make a bigger impact, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and I, I think I, I think that could happen. To be fair, it's been decently low scoring so far. I don't think that's going to hold. I mean, these goalies are playing out of their minds, but at the same time, you know, we've seen it. These series, they start off a little tight, and then they open up. You start getting four goal games. Right. So to your point, uh, you're absolutely right. You're going to have to get some scoring because guess what? Boston's got plenty of guys who can do it. Yeah. So I have to ask. This is a prediction show. Five yeah, and we're games really, left We're possible. really good at it, too. Oh, like I said, we've, we've, yeah. we've won people mortgages, and we've lost people houses. It just is yeah. what it is. <laughs> so it's 1-1. Who you got winning the Stanley Cup? You got the Blues. You got the Bruins. Um, I know who. Like, I, I'm gonna take. I think it's going deep. I think it's going seven. God, I hope to, so. It'd be so good start, for it to go seven. To start it right there, I think it's going seven. If you asked me after Game One, I just said Boston and four. After what I saw last night, I saw St. Louis. What I thought dominate Boston. Everyone's saying Boston played a really bad game. I think that's because the Blues made them play poorly. Um, I think the Blues are all over them. I think they're hitting them. I think they're in their heads. I'm going to take the Blues in seven. See, I know exactly where you're, like, what you were saying before you said that. Like, your heart says one thing and your brain says another thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean, the I'm, I think the Bruins still do it, and I think they probably do it in six. Um, and I'm really hoping that I'm wrong. The cup is <laughs> the cup is always one on the road, as we've said. That's so true. I think that the uh, the Bruins the Bruins and six is where I'm going to go from here. I do believe that they were rattled by what St. Louis brought to the table, but I do trust them to make the correct adjustments. And I just think Boston's too deep. Um, and I but if they continue to pedal char on the ice for 20 minutes a game, I think <laughs> I, I think they're going to regret it. But and they and they lost that one defenseman, so they're down. Right. They're down the guy, right? So and, and right now, Tuka Rask is just outplaying Bennington. I mean, yeah. Tuka, they showed Tuka's numbers, 
I don't know what year it was that the Bruins won the Cup and Tim Thomas won the Conn Smythe and just went bananas, but Tuka Rask is, like, heavily outperforming that performance from Tim Thomas. Like, Tuka's been that good, mainly because he doesn't get a lot of scoring chances. They're just so good defensively. Like, in the Carolina series, Carolina had, like, seven scoring chances the whole series because Boston's so good at keeping people on the outside. I, I'm hoping I'm wrong. Because I hate Boston, if I have to say it again, yeah. God forbid it. But I just think the Bruins are too good. And, you know, I don't think it's a great look for the league. Um, you know what I mean? I think you'd rather have a, a Pat Maroon story than a uh, Brad Marchand story. But, right, absolutely. You know what I mean? But I just think Boston is too deep. I think unless something, you know, something bizarre has to happen to flip the series, whether it's a, a controversial call that changes the game, which I hope doesn't happen, uh, Tuca just completely falls apart or a Bergeron or Marshawn injury or something like that. I just can't see the Blues doing it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I hear everything you're saying, and there's not much, right? There's not much to, to argue against with. I like the story of what St. Louis is doing. I think, like you said, they kind of got that against the world feeling, similar to what the Capitals had last year. Uh, it reminds me a lot of them. Remember, they lost game one to Vegas, and we right. were all saying, here we go. I think Vegas is going to roll. Um, I just see it very similar. I, I think, um, you know, West and the East play a very different style of hockey. They obviously haven't played each other in a month at least. And so I I think once St. Louis kind of got a taste of, of what it was going to take to play Boston, I think they adjusted really well. And so Bennington has settled down, it seems like. He, he played a – a pretty good second half there, um, obviously not letting up any goals. And so I like I like where they're at, but don't get me wrong. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Boston go and rattle off four straight and win this thing in in five. Or, right. you know, like that wouldn't surprise me at all either. Right. Well, there you have it, guys. Um, I just also want to say to you, Sean, happy one-year anniversary of the podcast. Um, we dropped the first episode in the beginning of the Stanley Cup Finals last year, which looking back on it was probably a really stupid time to start a podcast because the hockey season ended two weeks later. But we've survived a year. Um, I want to thank all the listeners out there. Um, like I said, this is not something I plan on killing, although the next few months are rough. I have a bachelor party. I have strongman nationals. I'm getting married. There is a lot on the line, but we will find ways um, to try to get some off-season um, content. My plan is to try to bank as many interviews as I can. I've gotten a, uh, a few tips, and I've had some guys reach out to me who know guys or who want to come on um, to give some off-season interviews, so that'll be a good time for that. Um, but just want to thank all the listeners. Like I said, um, it's been about four weeks since we dropped an episode, and you kind of get in that limbo of like, does anybody even notice? And the outflux of text messages I got or people that just brought it up to me um, was kind of mind-blowing. And, you know, I just appreciate everybody that's listening, that's given their feedback. And, um, you know, it's been a fun ride so far. It's something that I really have enjoyed doing, um, mainly because I get to look at Sean's huge arms for an hour uh. every time we <laughs> record. But uh, I just want to like I said, I just want to say I appreciate everybody who's listened and all the positive feedback that we've gotten. It's been, uh, it's been bigger than I thought it was ever going to be. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens here in this off season, but we'll definitely, you know, as the, you know, there's going to be some crazy moves in free agency. There's certainly going to be the NHL awards and stuff that we can talk about as it comes around the corner. Um, you know, especially once July 1st rolls around here and it really gets crazy. So just wanted to thank all the listeners and say happy one year anniversary. And it's been a fun ride so far. 
Absolutely. It's been fun doing it. Uh, it's good to express, you know, talk a little bit, talk a little shop here. Um, and this summer we will find hockey to talk about, but don't mistake it. We're going to have some nonsense to discuss as well. Uh, there are just, there are things that need to be talked about that we have been avoiding uh, that we're going to get to the bottom of. Give me an example. Well, uh, I'm thinking if I got on Twitter right now, I'm sure I would find something with the pop culture. Oh, but we got to break down. We got to break down the NBA Finals, right? Uh, <laughs> what a sick league! Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like for example, and this is basketball related. How about Drake wearing the Curry Raptors jersey? Oh my god! But it's for but it's for Bell Curry. Yeah. And they're playing Steph Curry. What a loser. What a league, man. What a league. If there's a bigger loser than Drake, I don't want to meet him. Here's the thing. Like, I, I hear what you're saying, but that dude, he's lived a life, right? Oh, I'm not. Trust me. I'm not saying I wouldn't swap lives with him. I'm just saying, <laughs> what a fucking loser. Like, him literally going up to the coach and giving, like, the coach, like, a shoulder rub. Dude, relax. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, get absolutely. I get be a fan and do your thing. I'm, that's all for it. But, like, it would have been funny if – I don't know who has the over-under on how many times we were going to bring up Giannis, Ante, Comp, and Anopo in this episode. Well, you almost had it there. I thought yeah. you were going to roll it right off or, the tongue. I, I don't even know how you pronounce it. I, know it's I don't either, name. but it, it I know sounded right. I know it's Giannis. The last name is Giannis, God knows what. Anka, Anta, I'm going to see Anta you. Anta Canupini. Anta Keepinanato. But if he – if how funny would it have been? Drake was like trying to get in his face. And like this Giannis dude is like seven, eight, four hundred pounds. If, yeah. if he just would have turned around and got nose to nose with him and watched Drake just shit his pants back into his Degrassi wheelchair, <laughs> what he a would sight. Have to, he would have had to take a knee oh, to like a, go nose to nose with him. Oh, what a sight it would have been. I, I just, what a loser. I mean, I get it. You're a super fan. It's your city. I don't mind Drake's music, but like, my God, dude, like be, you know, be a fan, be that guy in the front row. That's fine. But like, is, is Mark Cuban even that crazy? And he owns the team. Yeah, right. He's got a plug in it. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, people have been comparing Drake to Spike Lee, and I guess Spike Lee was probably more relevant before we were, th- you know, back in, like, the Jordan days, I think, is when they said Spike Lee was, like, crazy like that. But, I mean, dude, just settle down. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> but, for example, it's a great example of things that we're going to discuss. That, There's always uh, plenty. There's something we will talk about. There's always so Lord plenty. knows, Lord knows, we won't be talking about baseball though. There's just nothing to talk about there. Right, but yeah. So, uh, you got any meets coming up or anything like that? What's your next gig? No, I'm not doing anything till October. We're just just grinding right now. So, I have strongman nationals in a week and a half, and I'm just gonna get my shit kicked in. So I'm really looking forward <laughs> to that. Why uh, are you doing that? Just for fun? Well, and I've gotten actually my training's gone really, really well. Um, there's a few of the the few of the lifts I didn't even think I was going to be able to do. There's sixty two twenties, so a huge field. It's in Columbus, so mm. and I qualified for it. So it's one of those things where I wasn't sure if I was going to do it or not. And then I kind of reached out to a couple guys who I've never met, like Instagram guys. One of the guys finished in I think he finished third in America's Strongest Man at two thirty one last year. And I was talking to him about it, and he basically – the gist of what he told me was quit being a little bitch and just do it. Um, so I kind of was like, all right, I guess I'll I'll go and see what happens. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
some of the guys I competed against in my infamous keg fall competition, I know will be there and it's like competing against just human steroids. So it's very difficult, but excellent. You know, excellent. <laughs> so, but it'll be good. So I'm excited to do it. And then, like I said, I have the bachelor party the next week in Indy was so hopefully I come back alive. Um, but yeah, we'll have plenty of off season shit to talk about. Um, and yeah, man, what a ride it's been so far. And here's the hoping that the blues can close this out. Absolutely. I don't, I do not want to talk about Boston winning another one, but I got a feeling I'm kind of with you. I think we're going to be, Oh my God. And then maybe just football season will start or something. So what? So we can watch the Pats win another one as well. No, the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl. I already put a hundred uh, bucks yeah. on it at, at uh, what was it? 150 to one. So that checks out. I'll root for him. If you put on that, but if you got those odds, 150 to one to win the Super Bowls. I think what I got him at, I put 50 bucks on it. So we'll see. Or a hundred bucks on it. I put like too much on it. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a little much for, for what you know, you're doing with. But. You know, I sold a few more extra cases of Rockstar this week to take care of it. <laughs> no worries. Not a big deal. So. All right, big dog. I'll talk to you. Thanks again for joining us, and thank you to all the listeners, and we will talk to you soon. Hey, buddy? All right, brother. I'll see you. See ya. Well, I've been to California, Kansas City, too. 